Saturday night, so I like to sit down on Saturday night. Uh, my back is fine, but uh, I like to sit down sometimes. And since you're all sitting, I'm going to sit as well. Uh, if any of you like to stand, I'll stand with you. But otherwise, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sit here and visit with you a little bit tonight. And um, this, this topic is racial reconciliation. I thought about calling the topic, uh, What Color Was Adam?, and uh, let's just talk about that for a moment, because I get this one sometimes. People ask me this question sometimes. What color was Adam? Sometimes people ask this color. What color was Jesus? Well, let me tell you what I know for a fact. First of all, I don't really know. <laughs> don't you love when you come to church and a preacher tells you that? Uh, I, I don't really know, but let me tell you what I know. He wasn't, he wasn't white, either one of them. Adam was not white. As a matter of fact, the root word in the Hebrew of Adam is, actually means reddish. So the, the, uh, basically it implies that Adam, of course, he was made from the clay. There was a red tone, a red tint, or a, which would be its dominant, would be brown, which would be actually black. Uh, but brown and kind of a reddish color. Um, I, I know we have one of our good doctors here today, so he could tell you more about this than I could. But every, uh, every one of us, we all have two genes and we basically, and this is, I'm making it far too elementary, uh, but because uh, I had about three, uh, three semesters of biology in college, I feel well qualified to talk to you about this. Um, there's basically a black gene and a white gene. We basically have it. And, and, but it, what, it depends on which one is dominant within you, okay? So we all have this gene in our body. And probably for Adam and Eve, if we are to go with the root word of what Adam means, uh, then their skin was red, which would really look more like an Indian today. Someone from India would probably be a better way to think about it. And uh, as time has uh, gone on uh, in through different various circumstances, whether we, we uh, give credit for the environment, uh, the culture, whatever the case may be, uh, we know those genes, if, if, if they were exclusively white, and it was pure white, then that color would have never changed. If there was only a white gene, then, then they never would have changed. <clears throat> Everybody would have remained white. If it was only black, then if that was the dominant color and it was completely dominant in both genes, then everyone would be black, okay? But we have a mixture. And matter of fact, if you go in, Jesus being a Palestinian Jew, uh, if we go back to that time, even today, they, the Arabs would be uh, darker than our skin. But at that time, they, were even, they even had a darker pigmentation in their skin. So when we see these pictures, while they may make you feel good sometimes, that Jesus has blonde hair and blue eyes, and he's pearly white, and he's got white teeth, looks like he uh, had some work done at the dentist, or whatever the situation was in the pictures we're looking at, uh, they're really uh, just portrayals of, of who we are in a lot of senses, okay? If you go back to Isaiah 53, the Bible tells us that Jesus had no comeliness or great, quite quite frankly, no attractiveness that you would have desired of him. In other words, he didn't stand out in the crowd. There's this big hunk Jesus coming our way, okay? He blended in. That's why so many times in the crowds, Jesus would blend in, and they, they, they wouldn't know where he was anymore. He just kind of disappeared from his midst, and he looked like every other Palestinian during that time, okay? So I think it's important for us to kind of have an understanding of that, uh, because it's easy for us to become uh, ethnocentric in our view 
of the Bible and our view of who Jesus is and our view of who mankind is if we're not careful. And so I point that out not to be um, funny or just to make you think, oh, that's kind of cute, or I never thought about that, Uh, but for us to realize that we'll see in just a moment in Scripture that God created one race. That's what the Bible is going to tell us here. And so I I want us to take a few moments. If you have your Bible, um, I know we're not supposed to do this, Patrick, and I I want you all to forgive me for right now. Uh, But if you would, I want to turn the lights up just while we read the Scripture. Because if you have a Bible or if you have have the Bible on your phone, I realize some of you use your phones. I once had a lady tell tell me how awful people in our church were because they were looking at the phone while I was reading the Scripture. Actually, there's you version. We have our notes on there and everything. So I, I want to tell you, those of you who get offended, uh, that some people actually are looking at their Bibles on the phone. Now, most of you know that, but in case you don't, uh, so you don't think everybody's awful, uh, I wanted you to know that. All right, let's look at some scriptures here. Let's start with uh, Colossians. Matter of fact, I'll just look at these with you. Uh, Daniel, if you want to go ahead and put those up there, let's go ahead and start with Colossians 3.11, if we have that, then we'll look at James 2.9. All right, Colossians 3.11, here there is not Greek nor Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and all. Okay, there were two races that the Bible, and I say races, that's, I'm using that term very generally, there were two groups of people, it's probably a better way to say it, that the Bible recognized as groups that were divided. It was Jews and Gentiles. The Jews were the chosen people of God who originally meant to be the primary instrument that God would shine forth the light of his glory and of his goodness and of his salvation to all mankind, to all nations. Okay, That was the purpose of the Jewish people. But in Christ, he has broken down the wall. We'll see that in Ephesians chapter 2 in just a moment. That there now is not a Greek nor Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised. Okay, Let's go to our next scripture here, uh, the second one here in James chapter 2, verse 9. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. Now, we're certainly talking, James is certainly talking about partiality uh, in, in a couple of other senses here, but we know this is true racially. Uh, and sometimes it's socioeconomic. Sometimes that's the biggest divider is our socioeconomic uh, position. And certainly James was addressing this. I, another scripture for us to look at, 1 John 2.11. 1 John 2.11. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Okay? Now, I'm going to go ahead and tell you this point, and I'll, I'll make it again in a moment as we'll look at Ephesians here in a moment, there are two walls that we all have to deal with. And they're, they're true when it comes to reconciliation, racial reconciliation, but also in our reconciliation to God Almighty, the sin that separates us. So the first wall is the wall of our sin. It's the wall of ourself in the sense that we have determined, I'm going to be the king of my life. I will do what I want. That's what sin is. It's doing what we want in opposition to what God has designed, okay? And so that's that wall right there that spiritually separates us from God. There's a wall there, and the wall is our sin, our sin nature that separates us from God. The second wall we have to come overcome after that is the wall between us and our fellow man, whether they be black white, 
male, female, of another culture, of another background, of another socioeconomic grade. So those are the two major walls that we all have to deal with and we all have to come to and, and admit and confess. All right, now I want to show you another, uh, couple, one other, uh, a couple others. It's Acts chapter 17, verse 26. Acts 17, 26. And he made from one man, I mentioned to you earlier, we all came from one man, from one race. He made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth. Let me read that again. And he made from one man, talking about Adam, every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place. Okay. So we understand that God, in the beginning, God created. He created the heavens and earth, created everything that we know. He created Adam. He created Eve. There was a dominant, again, making it simple, a dominant black gene and a dominant white gene. Okay, And from the two of them, uh, and again, I, there's good reason for us to suspect at least, if not believe, that Adam had more of a reddish pigmentation a brownish color, and uh, through the process of time in microevolution, don't be disturbed that I said that word, okay, uh, but our skin color changes, okay, depending on where we are, uh, and there are a lot of other, a lot of, uh, there's a lot more science to it than that, uh, but that's, that certainly adds to the factor. Now, we're all from one nation. Now, let's go to Revelation chapter 5, verse 9 through 10, Revelation 5, 9 through 10, and then we're going to jump to Revelation 7, 9 through, t- 9, 9 through 10, okay? So Revelation 5, let's do 5 first, Daniel, if you, if you have it right there. Revelation 5, or we'll do 7 first, that's fine. After this, I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne, before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Again, verse 9, and I looked, and this is John. He's having his revelation. He's seeing the future, okay? He's seeing the new kingdom. He's seeing the new earth, heavens and the new earth. And I looked, behold, in a great multitude that no one could number uh, from every nation, from every tribe, and people in language standing before the, lo- the Lamb of God, before the throne of the Lamb of God. So we see uh, that there will be every tribe, every nation, there'll be every people group, uh, every color, uh, every ethnicity. I say every in the sense of certainly as, as far as color goes. <clears throat> and, you know, people from, uh, it's, it's amazing what's happening all around the world right now. People coming to Christ, even though this is one of the greatest crises uh, in modern history as we're seeing what's happening in the Middle East. But what we're also seeing is we're seeing Muslims come to Christ. They've been coming to Christ through dreams. Now they're coming to Christ as, they, uh, as many of them are looking for hope, saying, you know what, this has not worked. I'm looking for hope. I'm looking for peace. I'm looking for purpose. And so it's a great time for us as Christians and for our brothers and sisters who are missionaries on the field. And as we send food through Feed the Hunger, as some of you have donated money that we're sending to the Syrian Relief uh, through an organization that we've been working for a long time that is sharing the gospel, giving food, giving Halt and giving places for them to stay, giving clean water and sharing the gospel. Okay? 
That's how many are coming to Christ right now. Uh, do we have Revelation, which is uh, 5, 9 through 10? And they sang a new song. This is John again. As he sees this vision, as he sees this picture of what is to come, and they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nations, and you have made them a kingdom and priest to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. There's the picture that every tribe and every nation, all people groups who call Jesus Christ Lord will come together and praise him and worship him. It's a beautiful picture. It's a beautiful picture of what God has in store. So if it's that important to God, then it ought to be important to us. It ought to give us a compelling heart, a compelling vision to reach out to our brothers and sisters in Christ who, quite frankly, may not look like us. Now, um, we are not very ethnically diverse. And it doesn't take very long to look around and figure that out, does it? And we can say, you know what? It's because we live in an area that's not ethnically diverse. And that's true. It is. And, and I understand that. But I've got a question for you. If I ask you to name a family or friend that has a different ethnic background than you, could you, t- could you give me a name? Now, I'm not talking about somebody that you've seen, uh, you know, that you have to pull up and go, you know, yeah, I remember somebody used to live on a street, down the street from me. I'm asking you, could you pull up a name that you have a relationship with? Let me ask you another question. Is there anybody who's not in your socioeconomic group that you have a relationship with. Now, this is a question not for us to be guilted or to feel bad, but to open our eyes. And the truth be told, yes, we live in an undiversified community, but that does not give us an excuse to simply become so myoptic that we only look right next to us that we fail to open our eyes and to open our hearts to what is around us. Particularly, we see as God is talking, as John is revealing to us what it's going to look like, how God envisions the future of the kingdom to look like. So my question is, how do, do we take advantage of the opportunities that are before us? I, I, let me just say this as your pastor, and I believe as a believer in Christ. I believe, I honestly believe this. When someone visits our church, when someone moves on our street, where someone comes to work at our place of business where you were employed, I believe that you ought to make an extra effort to connect with them. I believe, quite frankly, I believe that it's biblical. I believe that it's what God wants. That you ought to make an extra effort. You ought to say, I'm going to make sure. I, I know what that's like. Maybe you don't know what that's like. But I'm going to go over and I'm going to make sure that I, that I welcome. Because Jesus said, if you've done it unto the least these, you've done it unto me. Jesus, it seems like he kept going to the wrong people groups. And Why do you think he expects any less of us? He doesn't. We can say, well, I, I'm just not comfortable. I don't want to. I don't. It's not really what I'm asking you. I'm saying, what do you think Jesus would do? And if he is our example, if he has 
Uh, if we really are going to be like Jesus, I think Jesus would look for the person on Sunday morning or Saturday night that looks like they don't fit or looks like they're uncomfortable or looks like they're different than the rest. And I think that's who he'd go sit by. I think that's the first person he would go welcome. And you go, I don't know if I'm comfortable with that. Then you're not being like Jesus. I'm not asking if you're comfortable with it. I know you, you, you really hope I don't come back on Saturday night, I bet, right now. Uh, I, I'm convicted. Can I just, let me just say this. I'm prejudiced, all right? I just want to confess to you that I'm prejudiced, all right? I am prejudiced racially. I'm prejudiced toward women. I'm prejudiced toward children. I'm prejudiced toward people that don't have as much education as me. I'm prejudiced toward people who have more education than me. I'm prejudiced toward people who have more money than me. I'm prejudiced toward people who have less money than me. I'm prejudiced toward people who are slow, drives me crazy. I'm prejudiced. I mean, there's just a whole list if I was honest. I mean, when I drive, I am so prejudiced. Whatever you are, if you're in front of me and you're not going the appropriate speed or you hang out at the light I got convicted the other day because we were waiting behind someone. Again, I know you're going to hate my guts. I got convicted the other day. We were behind someone, and they did not move. And my son goes, come on, lady. I said, buddy, that's not a lady. He goes, oh, I didn't know. You know where he got that from, don't you? My wife. No. You know what that is? That's a degree of prejudice of bias that's just automatically in me that just spews out. And if you're honest, I bet most of you are prejudiced too. Oh, I don't mean that you use vulgar slurs or terms. I'm not saying that. But you know what? We're going to look at what racism in just a moment is, but prejudice is anybody that you view are not like you or not as good as you or they, they don't fit with you. You think for some reason you're better. That's prejudice. Anytime that you feel that and act that out. And I, I do it all the time. I, I'm so disappointed with myself. But yet, I find myself over and over again from something I'm watching, something I'm hearing, the way someone acted. And in my mind, I go through, well, the reason they acted that way, the reason they did that, and I go to my cultural bias, and I go there, and I think about that. I think, you know, it's because they're an Aggie. That's what's wrong with them. or something. You know, whatever it is that I come up with. Now, that's a joke, by the way. It's more serious than that. But, but we do that. And I think we have to just start off and just confess. You know what? We're prejudiced. We are. We just all need to confess that and just be right up front with it. And that leads to racism. Let's talk about racism. What, what, how are we racist? Now, I made this term up, and the, the lady who um, tries to correct my notes said, you know, I don't know that that's a term. I think you made it up. And I said, I did make it up. But let me tell you a way that we're racist. I made this term up, so just bear with me. It's called superiority rescuing. Superiority. Now, what does that mean? It means that when you seek to help people, you do it from this viewpoint, this vantage point. You know what? And maybe you don't say this, but you know, I'm so much better. I'm going to help those people. 
they don't have very much. I'm going to help those people. Instead of saying, you know what, I recognize they have needs. And there by the grace of God go I. This could be me. And so I'm going to help because Jesus will help. And because I recognize this could be me, but less the favor and the blessing of God. As opposed to, well, you know, I earned my way to where I am. I worked hard. I've earned money. And yes, I'm fairly well-to-do. And, and I feel sorry for those little people, those ignorant people, those stupid people. So I'm going to give them a dollar out of my window and feel better about myself. That's superiority rescuing. Now, there are better ways to handle that situation. I'm not telling you you've sinned, but I'm telling you in a real sense, depending on the motivation of your heart, that's a form of racism. It would be much, quite frankly, more beneficial, but much harder for you to say, you know, who is, who is it that I'm going to support or I'm going to get to connect? What ministry, i.e. Bread of Hope, i.e. Cornerstone Church we partner with, i.e. Men of Nehemiah, it, it's much more difficult to give and to support there, it's much easier for us to just throw something out the window. And again, sometimes our heart may be right, sometimes it may not be. And when it's not, it's a form of our superiority. We're exercising, we're showing that we're better. And we're trying to make ourselves feel better because we are better. And this shows that we're better. Does that make sense? Number two, minimizing or denying differences. When it comes to other cultures and other races, particularly here in the United States, particularly here in the north part of the Metroplex, it's easy for us to minimize and go, well, everybody's got an opportunity. Everybody has it. Everybody can get an education. Everybody can be whatever they want to be. And, you know, I just don't see really the the big difference. I, I worked hard to get where I was. I mean, I grew up. I, we didn't have a whole lot, and I worked hard, and I got myself where I am right now. Well, first of all, let's start with the extreme. How would that have worked for you if you'd been born in Sudan? You think if you'd worked real hard, or if in, you had grown up in Ghana, you think if you had worked real hard, it, it would have put you in a different spot, particularly if you were one of the tribes that were deemed a lesser tribe, of which there was tremendous bias toward which you're not even able to get any kind of decent education if you got an education. If you just worked real hard and dug that ditch real hard, you think you would be where you are today? I'll tell you, you wouldn't be. The truth be told, if you were born in just about any other country outside of Canada, North America, and parts of Europe, it it wouldn't matter. If you had been born in an extremely low-income area, if the color of your skin was different and you're in inferior schools, you're in situations where, um, I'll just tell it to you this way. There's a church that I preached at a couple of weeks ago. Matter of fact, where most of the men in Nehemiah go. And I kid you not, if it was anywhere else, if you pulled up, they would have that church condemned. It looks terrible on the outside. Matter of fact, on the inside, it looks decent, and you don't realize it, but because you have given, and some of you individually have given, there's a lot of, been a lot of work done there, but it would be condemned and tore down. Flower Mound would never let it stand. But this is where they're going to worship. This is where they're going to church. For us to deny that that's different than where we are, 
that that's the same opportunity is racism. Number three, blaming the victims. We start to say, well, it's their own fault. It's their own fault. That's why you live that way. That's why you don't have a parent. You don't have a father there. And, you don't, and we start to make these ridiculous accusations and these ridiculous mindsets. And we start to blame people who've been abused, who have been deprived, and whom much bias has been exercised against them. And we start to blame the victims. I'm not saying that in every case that that's true, but I'm saying sometimes it is. And number four, by avoiding contact. You know what? I'm just going to stay in Flower Mound. You know, one of the reasons that we go, Hands Cross Community, that'll be a Sunday that we will suspend church, we'll go down there, and we'll send everybody that will go to South Dallas. Uh, We have groups, matter of fact, we have some men that go down there at least once a month, sometimes twice a month on Sunday morning. We have some men that go down there on Tuesday mornings and do Bible study. And so for us to simply avoid contact is a form of racism. Okay. Now, I didn't have them come in here at this time uh, just like this, but it kind of worked out pretty well, didn't it? So I think when we, when we determined we're not going to leave our little area of comfort and I'm not going to reach across the line, I'm not going to reach outside of my city, when we start to avoid comfort, that is a form of racism. And we just have to be honest enough to admit that. So superiority rescuing denying that their differences or minimizing differences, blaming the victims, and avoiding contact are all forms of racism. Now, I want you to look at this passage with me in Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, beginning with verse 11. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the, called the uncircumcision. Matter of fact, it's up there. Let me read this with you here by what is called circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at one time were separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. Now, I mentioned to you earlier, there are two walls. Two walls that we all have to decide, are we going to overcome? The first wall is our sin that separates us from God Almighty. The second wall is the wall that we have because of our prejudice between our fellow man. Two walls. So the first one, we're never going to cross the second one, by the way, until we deal with the first one. Recognize there's a wall between us and God. Jesus Christ came And he has torn down that wall. And he's torn that wall and he says, look, I am going to bridge the gap between God Almighty, the perfect heavenly Father, the creator of all things, and you, a sinner, who is hostile against God. We've talked about what hostility means. Hostility means this. I want to be in charge. It's about me. I'm going to decide. I'm going to decide what's right, what's wrong. I'm going to decide what I'm going to do. And God, I know what you say, but I am in charge here. And maybe you don't say that. But in our actions and in our spirit, in our heart, we push God off. And it's an act of aggression. It's an act of hostility. Every time we say, but God, I know you say this, but this is what I'm going to do. It's an act act of aggression. I mean, think of it this way. You're in the military. 
and your commanding officer has said, okay, here's what I want you to do. I want you to stay right here and defend this area and don't leave. But you decide, you know what? I don't care what he said, or maybe I do care what he said. It doesn't matter. I think this area, I'm not comfortable here, so I'm going over there. Even though this is an area that I have to defend from the enemy, I'm going over there, and I'm leaving this area. That is an act of aggression. That is an act of disobedience. That's an act of violation. And that's what we do every time we abandon God's word, every time we abandon his principle, every time we say, no, God, I'm going to do it my way. I'm going to do an act of flesh. I'm going to live this way. By abolishing the law of commandments expressed in the ordinances that he might create himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace might reconcile us both to God and one body through the cross, therefore by killing the hostility. So we want to be on the throne. We want to be in charge. And Jesus, and, and we are at odds with God. We are at war with God Almighty. And Jesus Christ said, look, I'm going to pay the penalty of their sin. I'm going to take their hostility upon me. And that gracious act of love, the gospel, that Jesus, who lived the life that we should have lived and died the death that we should have died, who he who knew no sin became sin on our behalf, that we might become the righteousness of God. He becomes that for us so that we are forgiven. And that hostility is forgiven. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father, so that you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple of the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. There's two words. We saw the word new there. There's two words for new in the New Testament. The first one is uh, neos. Neos simply means this. It's uh, a fresh look. It's like, I got a new outfit. <laughs> I got my car painted. Okay? Look, this is the new me. I've lost weight. Okay? It's, it's a new image, so to speak. Okay? It's a new veneer. And, and so it's new in one sense. And that's not what God is talking about here. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about a new creation, a new man. He's not talking about someone who says, you know, I've been bad. I'm going to do better. Well, that's, that's a neos right here. But he's talking about the word right here, kainos, okay? Kainos. And kainos is not simply a fresh new look. It's not simply a new veneer. It's a new kind. So in other words, I used to ride a horse to work. Now I'll drive a car. Or I used to ride a bike. Now I have a truck. It's new in kind. That's what God has called us to be. Behold, the old man is gone and the new man. Put on the new man of Christ, okay? Christ has erased our sin, erased our sin, and now we are a new creation, a new creature. That's the picture that we are given here. Now, when we recognize that, we come to that place where we have to, to recognize this, that first of all, I'm a sinner. 
And there's a wall between God and me. Secondly, I naturally put walls up between me and my fellow man when they're not like me or they don't do what I want or they look different, they act different, whatever it is. We have to confess that we do that because of our prejudice. That's naturally what we will do. And we confess that. So once I become a believer in Christ, which once I confess that I'm prejudiced, I confess my sin, what can I do at that point? Number one, I confess it. I confess that I'm a sinner. I confess that I'm prejudiced. We confess it. Number two, we educate ourselves. We begin to study to show ourselves approved biblically, and we look at history for real. Do you know there's, uh, there's a group called the AME? Anybody know the AME? Who's that is? African Methodist Episcopals. Okay. It is, a, uh, it is a, a black church. And the way it was formed was back in 1787. Uh, they were worshiping. And back then, <clears throat> they had the white section and the black section. And apparently, some, uh, some black gentleman decided to go pray up the front in the white section. And the white, uh, the white congregate, part of the congregation got so mad, they picked him up and threw him out of the church, physically. Picked him up because he had the audacity to pray in the white section. So the, the, rest, the rest of the African-Americans, the rest of the blacks in there, they left, and uh, they started what was known as the AME Church, the African Methodist Episcopal. Give you another one. I don't know if I'll share this tomorrow because so many of you get bothered by this. Southern Baptists. You know where the Southern Baptists came from? Because the Southern Baptist, the Baptists broke off from the rest of the General Baptists because of the issue of slavery, because they supported the issue of slavery. What is the biggest denomination in America right now? The Southern Baptists. Now, that's not saying, in the Southern Baptist, matter of fact, there's a Southern Baptist African American president now, okay? And I believe that for the most part, the leadership has confessed, hey, this is where we started. Our ancestors were wrong. So that doesn't mean God has the beauty of taking something that was meant for evil and using it for good, i.e., see the life of Joseph. His brothers were, what did they do? They threw him to slavery, and then we fast forward about 25, 30 years, and he's before his brothers, and God has used him as a mechanism of salvation. And when they recognized what happened, they said, oh, my goodness, we're so sorry. We, you know, we're so sorry what we did before you, Joseph. And they said, you know what? It's okay. What? You meant for evil, God is meant for good. That's why we serve a redeeming God, which is remarkable, that he can redeem even our sin, even things that we did with ill intent through history, i.e., see the Southern Baptists and what God is doing. There are more missionaries being sent out from the Southern Baptist denomination than any other denomination, okay? Uh, Thousands and thousands of people are coming to Christ, even though its beginning was anti-biblical, quite frankly, all right? So, number one, educate ourselves, recognize these truths. Number three, listen. I asked you earlier, are there other people from other backgrounds, ethnic backgrounds that you know? If not, I want to challenge you to begin a relationship and then listen. And don't try to act like, oh, yeah, you went through this. Oh, yeah, me too. You know, I can tell you stories. I can tell you all these great stories from my past. But the truth of it is, it's not the same. Okay? I can tell you a story about how to... When I was living in Fort Worth, I had a gun stuck up my head, da-da-da-da, and tell you all these great stories, and you can go, ooh, wow, but the truth of it is, it's not the same situation, all right? Listen. Listen to what it means 
just to feel like you have been marginalized. Listen to what it feels like to say, you know what, I feel uncomfortable, I feel left out. There's a, there's a, a study that just came out two years ago. It was done in 2013. Uh, 2013. It's called the Jamal LaQuisha experiment. Jamal LaQuisha. So this is what happened. Resumes were all put together, and uh, they were sent out all over the country. I, I think there were 50,000 of them sent all over the country, different various types of businesses. Uh, no picture on them, uh, but they put the name either Jamal or LaQuisha was the first name on there. And then they used Emily or David. And all those went out. They were, had the exact same qualifications, the exact same education, but 40% more of the Emilys and Davids got interviews than the Jamals or LaQuisha. Hey, I'm just saying, we can say what we want, but there's still a bias. There's still a racial inequality. Okay? And again, we can argue about this all day, but there's proof right there. All right. Number four, reach out. We talked about that a while ago. Reach out. Take the time to reach out beyond your comfort zone. Number four, develop. Develop relationship. Take the time to develop a relationship. Invite people over of different backgrounds. Invite them over to eat. Go to lunch. Go to dinner. Spend time. Employ. Some of our, uh, some of our guys here, some of our business guys at Rock Point, are employing some of the guys from Men and Nehemiah now. Matter of fact, I think there's 14 or 15 employed through three different guys. That's a great opportunity to employ. And these are brothers in Christ. Use your skills. Some of our guys, we've got a dentist. We've got some other people that will use their skills to help. Let me tell you to do this. I mentioned earlier, this is a church. I want to challenge you. I'm not asking you to leave our church, by the way. But I want to challenge you to go to a church before Christmas, where you are the significant minority. When I say significant, I don't mean it's 50-50. I'm talking about I want you to go to church where you're one of, you're, you're part of a 2 or 3% group, where it's obvious that you stick out. I invite you to go to an African-American church, a Korean church, a Hispanic church. And some of you might think, I don't know if I want to do that. Again, I'm not asking you about what you want. I'm asking you, what do you think Jesus wants you to do? Okay, it's gotten way too quiet in here. So here's what I, I want us to just stop, and I want us to pray for a moment. And um, I want us to take some time uh, to just listen and, uh, to God for a moment. And, uh, and then when we get through that, I'm going to ask... Uh, I'm going to ask our brothers to come up here for just a moment and share for just a moment. But I, I want to ask you a couple of questions in a spirit of prayer. And I know this is a hard message. I know this is difficult. And again, I confess to you uh, that I am weak, that I am a sinner, that I am prejudiced, that I am uh, so many things that I, I need to confess before God. And I, I think that's the point of it. Are we willing to confess this is who we are and say, God, I don't need a fresh coat of paint. I need you to make me new, Kanos. I need to be a new man, a new heart. Lord, I've received your salvation, but Lord, I want you to expose the biases and the prejudice and the racism that dwells within my heart that I don't even know and I don't even see. 
And God, I want you to help me to build relationships with my brothers and sisters in Christ. To be a part of the kingdom that, Lord, you're going to prepare, that you're preparing where every tribe and every nation and every tongue, Lord, let us start here today within this church. And let your name be praised and glorified. For just a moment, I want to invite you to pray. And I want you to listen. Father in heaven, thank you for this time together tonight. And uh, Lord, as we, as we sing, and Lord, as we uh, continue in this service, I ask that you give us eyes that see like you and ears that hear what you want us to hear. God, I am, I'm convicted as I read your word, as I look at this subject, and I, I humbly ask your forgiveness. Lord, I ask your forgiveness of not knowing how to properly communicate to a point that uh, not just stirs conviction but calls for action. Lord, I pray that people would not stumble over my words and my thoughts but would hear your heart and see your face and might glorify you. So, Lord, I thank you for this time, and I thank you for the blessing of salvation. I thank you for the blessing of the church. I thank you for the blessing of being and sharing life with believers no matter what their background. God, I pray that you would stretch us in the days ahead, that we might glorify you and bring glory to your kingdom. In your name I pray, amen.